This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Got a great stream and a great guest for you. Going to be going over the Twitter files, which is still a very much, you know, uh, it's a story that's developing as we're digging into it, but there's plenty to talk about. So joining me to break it down today is Mark Hemingway. Thanks for joining me, Mark. Hey, glad to be back. Absolutely. So I, there's just, we were starting to talk about putting this together when the first set of Twitter files dropped <laughs> and then so much has happened then, since then. It seems like an entirely different story at this point. It seems like we're going to be getting more. So we'll probably be talking about this for a while, but I guess we should start at the beginning um, with, with the first drop and kind of Matt Taibbi's uh, original thread and kind of all the revelations that came out with that. So we're looking at these files and this is the release that, uh, that Elon had promised kind of uh, unmasking the bias at Twitter and all the different things that go on behind the scenes to put the thumb on the sales or the scales of different uh, political networks, different political messages. But it also revealed specifically kind of the meddling that went on and the censorship that went on around the 2020 election and the Hunter Biden laptop story. So I think in some ways, a lot of this was stuff we already know, but what are the big revelations that came out around the censorship with Hunter Biden? Well, this is, this is key to understand. <clears throat> and Tybee's quite clear about this. He says that, you know, in the, by the 2020 election, um, um, requests for intervention um, um, to remove tweets, et cetera, from different political actors, had become quote unquote routine. Um, and a lot of the reason why that's so important to understand is because a lot of the, you know, attempts to dismiss this have centered around the idea that, you know, Taibbi provided like one or two examples of this happening. Um, and in some cases, you know, the, the one examples he provided was there was this situation where the Biden campaign emailed in and like, yes, we'd like the following tweets removed. And the response from Twitter was literally one word. I think it was just handled. Um, and someone went into the Internet Archive and looked at those tweets. And apparently the tweets that they want to remove were um, pictures of a 
Hunter Biden Schwantz um, that had come from the laptop. Um, and um, so, you know, the, that that led to this whole talking point about how, oh, well, it's perfectly reasonable they'd want naked pictures of Hunter, you know, removed. <laughs> Never mind it. No one is asking about um, the fact that they, they, they're concerned about these naked pictures being out there would kind of suggest that the information coming from the laptop was valid to right. begin with, right? Um, or there was the issue, which is to say that, you know, Hunter Biden's sex life, you know, it, well, you know, you know, this is just an attempt for people you know, to talk about Hunter Biden's sex life. And that's what the laptop's really all about. Well, first of all, no, it was all it's always first and foremost about the relationship of, of corruption between Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. I mean, Hunter Biden was making deals with shady Russian Ukrainian oligarchs and Joe Biden was meeting with them at fancy Georgetown restaurants. And this is all spelled out in emails and stuff that have come off the laptop, um, you know, in addition to the deals with China and other things like that. So the corruption is, is problem number one. But even if you wanted to focus in on the sex life garbage, um, the fact of the matter is, is that Hunter Biden's sex life was, you know, a matter of public corruption and criminal concern. Um, you know, the laptop provides lots of evidence that he was cavorting with Russian hookers or hookers that were um, basically being trafficked by Russians. And remember, you know, how much crap we endured for years about how um, Putin had compromised on Donald Trump. You know, we learned a whole new word because of this. Um, because he was cavorting right? with Russian hookers in Moscow, right? Yeah. So the fact that Hunter Biden is, you know, running around with a bunch of Russian hookers, oh, well, that's not a national security concern at all. Um, it's only, only when Donald Trump allegedly does it, never mind that we have proof that Hunter did it. Then you get into the fact that he was, you know, transporting, you know, multiple hookers across state lines, which is literal sex trafficking crime. Then we come out with the fact there's a video from his laptop where he is trying to get this obviously distraught escort on camera saying that she, that he didn't hurt her. All right. I mean, this is like just unbelievably like scary, disturbing stuff. So fine. If you want to make it about Hunter Biden's sex life, let's make it about Hunter Biden's sex life. Hunter Biden's sex life, still a national security concern, still a national concern he can concern still a criminal concern and still you know something that you know progressive liberals that you know claim to care about the welfare of women should give a damn about yeah so even if we're just focusing on the things that they were talking about still plenty to be uh, you know very aware of and i think it's interesting because like you pointed out so many people this was the rush Right. This was the storyline. As soon as this started coming out, we, we got this gaslighting of, well, this is just a social media company doing its job. Right. They're just removing revenge porn of of Hunter Biden from the Internet. They're just taking care of uh, you know re removing something, uh, you know, someone's child from the Internet who's exposing himself. You know, it's it's an adult who's doing so under, like you said, under you know, uh, criminal conditions and exposing, you know, serious uh, secrets of the United States government or, or exposing the, the corruption linked to these things during those acts. But uh, on top of this, you know, even if there was nothing there, which obviously there is, because at every turn, these people are moving, you know, they're colluding to shut this down. Even if there's nothing there, the cover-up is the crime in this case, right? It's, it's the very clear message from Tybee's thread that even though they knew that this information wasn't from a hack and wasn't um, false. It was all. It was not misinformation. They still actively moved to cover it up under the the site's you know hacked information policy. Right. Well, then that's the other thing that the Taibis thread makes clear. And actually, this is in this is also a key component of the the second part of the Twitter files that Barry Weiss released last night. In 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 several cases, you have a situation here where Twitter is making up policy on the fly. They're bending, stretching, twisting, 
wholly inventing new policies that they didn't have to justify going out and censoring people that they didn't like or censoring political news that they thought was, you know, counter to their particular interests or their particular concerns, frankly, not as a company, but as like progressives who were running the company. Um, and, and that's, I think, a key thing to understand here. I mean, you know, um, uh, Mark Andreessen, the, the venture cap, the billionaire venture capitalist out of, um, um, out of Silicon Valley, who's, you know, a fairly interesting tweeter and seems to be, um, one of the, one of these people along with Elon and, and Peter Thiel, um, coming out of Silicon Valley that is, you know, sort of questioning official narratives as it were, tweeted something really interesting last night. He just tweeted in response to the files. All he said was there was no algorithm. I mean, and that's what it looks like. It looks like a bunch of, you know, you know, you know, 30 something progressives who live in San Francisco, um, using Twitter as their pet to try and control elections and to try and to stifle um, public debate in a way they think will benefit um, themselves politically. And again, it's not even like they were like financially profiting off of this. And Twitter's been a disaster as a company, you know, financially. And they were literally just using this as a tool to like, you know, weaponize public opinion in such a way that it would advance certain liberal progressive objectives. Um, and, and that's what's really sort of terrifying about what's going on here. And you see this time and time again about the rot of these institutions, you know, um, what is it? David Burge, the Iowa hawk has that famous saying about, you know, um, you know, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's about wear like how, a skin suit. Yeah. Liberals, you know, hollow out these institutions and they, they wear them like a skin suit, you know, um, but the problem is, is the more that you politicize an institution, the less you, I mean, so the less institution that the power is able to wield because they become perceived, perceived as overtly political, as opposed to having the credibility and authority on the subject matter that gave them the, um, the, the power that they had to begin with. Um, and, you know, uh, obviously Silicon Valley and social media companies are no different. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because as somebody who has talked a lot about kind of, the cathedral and the the disorg the the um, decentralized kind of network of these different organizations that move the same direction consistently, but maybe don't have a direct you know top down uh, you know organ that's telling them this is exactly what's going to happen. These these files are really revealing, right? Because we can see, like you said, it, it's an abuse of a lot of the things that progressives like to use to hide their power, right? So on one hand, you have kind of this, uh, these procedures that are set up and they're supposed to provide kind of this bureaucratic oligarchic diffusion of responsibility, right? No individual makes the particular decision, but kind of there's a group think. And once that group think starts and snowballs, it kind of takes over. So what we see with the Biden laptop is once uh, one or two people have suggested that we're going to go ahead and move forward and censor this out of an abundance of caution, multiple people kind of in this email chain, in this different chain of events, kind of stand up and say, hey, isn't this a violation of the First Amendment? Hey, aren't we stretching our policy? Does it really apply here? But those people kind of get snowballed and it's made very explicit in the in the twitter files that the the big concern was like you said not that this is violating any policy that existed or anything like that the major concern was we don't want this to turn into hillary email server 2.0 right the the purpose of this is explicitly to manipulate the election and make sure that a big story does not wreck 
the Democratic candidate right before Trump's election again, right? That is the explicit reason this is done. Right. And it's and in the whole time, they're just using these policies that they've turned into kind of a malleable shield to try to prevent any kind of responsibility from landing on an individual person for those actions. Right. And I just want to point out again that, you know, Hillary's server was an actual crime. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, Worth this is the thing, yeah. you know, it, it, they're na they're acting nakedly politically. It'd be one thing if they're saying, you know, well, we don't want this to turn into some story that turned out not to be true that everybody went with. No, <laughs> the substance of the Hillary Clinton stuff was an actual legitimate concern to voters. It was a legitimate criminal concern. It got and frankly, if anything, she got off easy because of it. You know, I mean, you remember James Comey gave, stood up and gave that press conference. He spent the entire press conference discussing about how why it was so awful and criminal what she did. And oh, by the way you know out for the sake of you know not tearing apart the nation's social fa fabric we're not going to do a damn thing about it and of course you know and, and again it just speaks to the whole thing that's driving everyone crazy about this is the double standards i mean they're going after donald trump right now for criminal charges for what again violating top secret you know document stuff i mean wasn't that the issue at the heart of the hillary clinton thing um again um, you know, th there are two things here. You know, one is the, the, the as you point out, you know, the one is they're just on, on one hand acting, you know, nakedly um, political and hypocritical about all of this. And then the second concern is that they're, you know, to the extent that they even begin to justify this with any sort of like remote policy, they're doing something that is very, very new and fundamentally very un American. They're using this concept, this completely amorphous concept of harm, right? Um, to justify everything that they do. You know, the idea is that somehow if they let misinformation out in the world, that they're directly responsible for the consequences of other people's decisions. Um, that's not how free speech works. That is not how America has traditionally um, operated in these situations. You know, we have trusted people and our citizens to, you know, go out there and get the right information and go out and make decisions accordingly because very often there are situations where when you impose top-down diktats on how to handle a situation, whether it's COVID, whether it's how to vote, whether it's any of these other things, um, you end up forcing people into things and doing things that are actually harmful to them. I mean, COVID's a great example. I mean, there's all kinds of situations here where like, yes, you know, maybe COVID was a serious problem for elderly people or people that had underlying health conditions that put them at high risk. It was not at all a problem for children. And yet all of these top-down diktats went around and, you know, harmed children for the sake of protecting a much smaller population of vulnerable people. Um, and that's just no way to run a country. That's no way to live your life. That's, you know, no way to, you know, look at how to make decisions. And yet we are constantly creating these, these engines of decision-making in this country that take away the kind of autonomy that will allow people to make the best decisions that would actually protect themselves from harm um, in, in the guise of that someone else knows better than you how to protect yourself from harm. And that's just, you know, an appalling um, um, way to, 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 to do things. So th there's a lot to unpack here. There, a lot of events have happened between the first drop and the second drop. So we'll break down a few of these things because they're all really important. So the thing that kind of happened, the major event that happened between the first and the second distribution, because they were supposed to come pretty close together originally, it sounded like, right? We got the, right. the Taibi drop on Friday and it was sounded like we we're supposed to get Weiss on maybe Monday or something. But, you know, the, the story kept getting pushed further and further back and everyone's wondering why. And then we discover that these files were actually being vetted by an attorney at Twitter. 
And that attorney also happens to be someone who worked at the FBI and was directly involved, as I understand it, in like the Russiagate investigation. Yep. And so one of the main things that a lot of people pointed out from Tybee's drop and Tybee himself said in the thread was, hey, it's weird. We don't have the smoking gun from the FBI, like from direct contact with the government. We just know the government from other uh, revelations, like with Facebook and such, was meeting with these people on a regular basis and was, which should be chilling enough, but, but was meeting with these people on a regular basis talking about the possibility of hacks and disinformation. But we don't have like a direct communication. We'll come to find out all of this information is actually being strained through a attorney who had direct connections with the FBI and with these corruption investigations that specifically targeted Donald Trump. Yeah, James Baker. Um, you know, he was also an attorney at the FBI and was involved in a number of other of the FBI's controversial episodes um, leading up to his, you know, departure, um, you know, partly because of his involvement in those things. Um, now, on one hand, you might just say, look, being an attorney of the FBI is by, you know, whether you like it or not, is going to be force you into a bunch of situations where you're going to be dealing with sort of controversial, you know, missteps sort of the FBI has has done. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I, uh, you know, came out last last night. I saw um, Andy Ngo was tweeting about the fact that um, Twitter had another guy working there, a guy named Jeff Carlton, who had previously yeah. worked for the FBI and CIA. Um, and you know, at some point, you know, you have to ask what's going on here. I mean, I imagine there's more than a few of these people floating around Silicon Valley. Um, I mean, I don't want to sound like too paranoid or conspiratorial, but have you ever heard the phrase sheep dipped? Um, my father, my father was a retired Marine Colonel, right? My dad spent a year working for the CIA in Laos before Vietnam broke out in the early 1960s. And what they were doing at the time was they were providing you know, military aid to Laos um, in order to, you know, keep the conflict from, you know, in check or whatever it was building up in Vietnam. And what they were doing is they were taking a lot of young Marine officers to do military training and other things like that for the Laotian army working for the CIA. But since we were not supposed to be in Laos and the Raleigh's public assurances that we weren't getting involved in Southeast Asia leading up to Vietnam, what the CIA was doing was taking all these Marines or, you know, other people and taking them off books for a year or whatever. Like if my dad had died somehow during that year he was working in Laos, you know, his death would have been officially disavowed as an act of the U.S. government or anything like that. But that didn't. But as it happens, my dad was basically on the payroll of the Marine Corps with, you know, promotions and all that other stuff happening the entire time. Um, and then, you know, after a year working with the CIA, they just reintegrated him back into the Marine Corps and he did this. Now, this happens a lot with intelligence agencies. I mean, you know, was James Baker and this guy Jeff Carlton, were they literally working directly for the FBI and the CIA all along, even as they were, you know, collecting a paycheck um, for um, with, from Twitter, which I presume was handsome. Um, so, you know, I don't think these are, you know, paranoid questions to ask. I mean, I think responsible journalists would, you know, be asking about the involvement of these things in that. And, you know, what Twitter's, you know, specific interaction with the government was. Was there a First Amendment violation? And it's just absolutely incredibly appalling hackery that all of these journalists are just like, oh, well, you know, this is old news. This is a nothing burger. Um, this is just about, you know, people, you know, Republicans thinking they have a constitutional right to see Hunter Biden naked, on and on and on. Um, when the reality is, is that, I mean, I don't even know what to say. I mean, you, you can't get a more clear-cut case of, you know, flashing, you know, neon sign, klaxons going off, government possibly being involved directly in, you know, horrifying First Amendment violations 
than what we're seeing here. And it begs and begs to be, you know, dug into. Do we have like, you know, definitive proof of like our worst fears just yet? No, but you know, there's, there's, you know, so much smoke here that, you know, we're, we're, we're choking. Um, you know, so we, we should probably go and find the source of that fire and put it out. Shouldn't we? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, but the problem is, you know, 95% of the press corps wants all this, right? Like this is right. this is what they want. This is their vision of speech, right? Like, like, sorry, but they don't give a crap about the First Amendment or free speech. What they want is a information distribution apparatus in which their values filter every bit of this. And they are more than fine with the FBI or the CIA, if you know, even even if this isn't direct, like even if these people didn't explicitly get sent into these positions by intelligence agencies, the fact that like their position within those intelligence agencies qualifies them professionally, <laughs> provides them the essential credentials and connections to get placement reliably in these positions means that their interests, the interests of those agencies will constantly be mingled with those of private corporations, right? Like this, this rotating door of the public private partnership between intelligence agencies, social media, and all this kind of stuff. If, if what qualifies you to sit on a trust and safety council is time investigating people in the FBI or operations in the CIA, then you're never going to be able to kind of un untangle the interests of these institutions. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And of course, I was saying all the stuff I was saying about this, specifically as an indictment of the press. I mean, yeah. gotta remember, we're less than 20 years from the you know, outbreak of the Iraq war where, you know, every journalistic institution, you know, with with the exception of maybe a few missteps by the New York Times or something, um, was screaming bloody murder about, you know, the intelligence apparatus manipulating evidence to march the United States into war, right? Um, and there was a lo decades-long history going back to the 60s of the media being deeply, deeply skeptical of the FBI and its, you know, uh, counter-terror, you know, domestic terror operations, um, you know, and, you know, we had the church hearings in the, in the 70s dealing with the FBI and the CIA's abuses and all this stuff. And it was like, it was taken for granted when I was coming up that if anything, the media was too paranoid paranoid about what was going on in the national security state now they have it, it the, the I, I can't even begin to tell you the opposite problem is so much worse than that um you know um i would so much rather have a press that is you know too unfair to the fbi and cia however necessary some of their national security functions might be than a press that just never asks any questions whatsoever and we've now been through like several issues here where we have you know um you know, Russiagate, the impeachment, first impeachment of Donald Trump, um, the Mueller investigation, um, and now this, where all of a sudden the FBI and the CIA have become national heroes and don't you dare question for a second about whether they're manipulating anyone. Um, and the reality of it is just simply that in the last 20 years, what's happened is that 
liberals have amassed enough power in corporate boardrooms and you know all of the and 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 the the, the government itself that they now feel that they're in control so therefore these tools went from being things that were abusing constitutional rights to things that can actively be manipulated to abuse the constitutional rights of people they don't like uh, and that's and, and we shouldn't be we should be very clear-eyed about where we are at this at the, in this country right now yeah so this is a really interesting problem because we know that these institutions are far more interested in say uh going after parents who disagree with gender ideology and protest at school board meetings or arresting pro-life protesters than they are at you know any kind of actual police work, any actual protection of the nation. We see at the same time this network of intelligence agencies and, and federal law enforcement that is clearly willing to go after the political enemies of the Biden administration, also willing to take an active role in the manipulation of elections through their own prosecu prosecutorial actions and through their involvement with social media and, uh, and other actors. And so that really begs the question, what, what is to be done here? Like, I, I hear a lot of people in the Republican Party telling us that about candidate quality, right? Like, we have right. to get back to, to very straight-laced, buttoned-down, serious candidates, the kind of candidates that talk about, you know, um, uh, you know tax code and, 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 you know, talk about, you know, the marginal, marginal tax rates, all that stuff. And they, we have to stop electing people who might talk about, I don't know, reforming the FBI or completely demolishing the FBI and starting out with something new. How does this get addressed? What does this look like? Is there anyone willing to take this kind of problem on? Well, th that's a really good question right now. I mean, I think there are some legitimate candidate quality issues to be discussed, you know, from what we saw in the midterms, right? But on the other hand, you know, if you look at... Um, who is in the Republican Senate currently? You know, we just had 12 Republican senators vote for this um, marriage bill. Um, and, you know, to be clear, I mean, I think that, you know, gay marriage is is, is here to stay, um, whether people like it or not. And it was never in danger of going anywhere. But what we had 12 Republican senators do is, is go out and basically sign away the constitutional rights of a lot of people who are being attacked over religious liberty concerns. And I look at that and I say, I got 12 Republican senators in the, in the, there in the, that voted for this, that they don't give a damn about the first amendment or people being persecuted by their government. Um, that's a candidate quality problem, isn't it? And then you look at like, oh, well, we need, just need to run more respectable straight laced people. Does anyone remember the 2012 campaign? We literally ran Mitt freaking Romney for crying out loud. And he was literally portrayed in the press as a racist, gay bullying, dog abusing felon. And these were literally all storylines that were eagerly promulgated by the media. I mean, the Washington Post ran like what a cover story. It was like 4,000 words about how Mitt Romney allegedly bullied a young gay guy when he was a teenager and his like family disavowed the whole thing and the guy was no longer alive. I mean, it was just absolutely bananas what they got away with. I think part of the problem here, and again, this is why the, the freak out of Twitter is going so is, is the freak out over the Twitter files is, is so pronounced right now among the journalistic class, even if it hasn't broken through the mainstream in a lot of ways yet. And it's simply this, which is that this system of control doesn't work if you have, uh, it doesn't work unless you have a completely asymmetric media information system, right? Mm. They're really depending on that. The other day, or, or like a day or two ago, I tweeted something about um, firebombing crisis pregnancy centers. You know, these are the Christian 
um, groups that go out and they try and, and help women who are pregnant that don't want to abort their children and um, abortion activists have been targeting them. And I tweeted, you know, um, you know, something about firebombing Christ pregnancy centers. I got a retort from a liberal doctor in Portland, Oregon said, post one link to a story where crisis pregnancy centers have been firebombed. I mean, are you kidding me? Um, a, a, a crisis pregnancy center in Gresham, Oregon, the adjacent city to Portland where this guy lives, was firebombed. Um, you know, I mean, this is just absolutely insane, but I, I have no trouble believing that this guy and, and look, even people on the right are victims of this new media um, environment where we all get siloed off into their own thing. But it's so much more powerful when you, you still have these legacy media institutions that sort of set the tone. And, you know, even the gatekeepers, these social media companies are allowed to come in and, and intervene with these things. And the reality is, is that, you know, I, you know, as a right of center guy, I want to know what a liberal thinks. I can turn on the television for about 30 seconds and get a pretty good idea of what the conventional wisdom is on a given topic. Um, if a liberal wants to know what, you know, conservatives think about things, you know, are they going out and subscribing to Claremont Review of Books? No. <laughs> um, and, you know, as it, and on one hand, it's horrifying that we got to this place. On the other hand, it's also kind of a strategic advantage. We're seeing this situation here where I think, uh, a lot of these progressives that are controlling these institutions so tightly are getting completely blindsided by these, you know, stories that keep popping up, like the Twitter files or whatever. Like it was obvious this was happening all along. You know, at some point, you know, it was only natural that some details about this were going to come out, and you know, they run around like their hairs on fire, trying to stick their fingers in their ears and making noises, pretending like they're not hearing anything. So um, we just need to find a way to sort of, you know, keep pressure. I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, I feel like basically most major media institutions in this country need to be raised and the earth salted where they stood. Um, but, and, you know, until we com completely break that hierarchy and the good news is, is I think that, um, you know, new media in a lot of ways, you know, shows like this, you know, streaming, getting some large streaming programs on different platforms and things like that. Um, you know, other influential people popping up um, through the internet and these technologies um, are threatening to that. Um, you know, I've been on Tim Pool's show um, and you know what? Um, his viewership is comparable to cable news numbers. I mean, yeah. Maybe yeah, it's, it's massive. Yeah. Cable news numbers, you know, on a, on a bad day, but it's still in the ballpark, you know. And, you know, believe me, uh, cable news companies are seeing this happen and they're getting nervous. And the progressives that really want to control these media institutions, um, you know, are very nervous that these tools are going, you know, like YouTube and uh, um and uh, um, Twitter are going to allow people to rise through the ranks and speak the truth. And that's why they are, they're trying to assert so much control from the top down. Well, that's a great transition into our second batch here because we've touched on it a little bit, but we didn't, we didn't actually get directly into the substance of Barry Weiss's uh, Twitter file drop. So what we learned from Barry Weiss's Twitter file drop is something that I think, again, everyone who's really had an account on Twitter and run afoul of the system knew but the Twitter vehemently denied, you know, point blank on many different uh, occasions that they do shadow ban to each people, right? right. They call it a, a visibility uh, filtering. filtering. Yes. And so, so when they said they, they didn't shadow ban, they were, they were being truthful. It's, you know, visibility filtering, very different. Um, and, and, and we see that there are these tags placed on major accounts, people like Libs of TikTok, people like Dan Bongino, people like Charlie Kirk, and these uh, tags specifically label those accounts as they cannot be amplified, they're not allowed to trend, they're completely, in some cases like Dan, but you know, they're completely removed from search options, you can't find 
the tweets if you even if you specifically are, are trying to hunt them down and so we know again it, it, it's something that anyone if you have ever used twitter with a decent sized account and you you can immediately feel your your engagement just drop like a stone like you'll do you'll just have been chugging along lots of retweets lots of follows and then just dead out of nowhere you can't get anywhere you know this is happening you're not crazy but we never had the smoking gun now with the you know release information from weiss we know this is that something that twitter does regularly it and it does in a particularly biased direction yeah no it was really you know frightening they so they posted these you know screenshots of sort of the command center they had where of you know an individual twitter account where as you pointed out they could you know tag these things so the accounts are restricted in very certain ways um and you know again it was really just astonishing to see the media reaction to this it was like so you know we all knew that they were doing this well well yeah the thing is we all did know but we didn't know the specifics of it the other thing is that um you know we still don't have a good you know clue of this based on weiss's reporting which you know strongly suggests this and obviously you know you know we're not blind but you know it would be good to get some sort of accounting to figure out like how this was being you know enacted you know um was the right disproportionately affected by this to what degree etc cetera, etc cetera. these are things that actual journalists would like want to know instead you saw these like most incredible things like i so again they post a screenshot and off to the side where they're showing all the con the visibility filters they're putting on people and stuff like that had a list for like what was going on in the account and a list one said that said direct messages and all these people were looking at that and pointing this out and saying wait do twitter employees have access to direct messages because you know one of the things elon has talked a lot about since he um, has taken over is is you know integrating signal technology and having encrypted direct messages in twitter which i think would be welcome but you know, all these people were sort of, you know, wor worried about this. And I saw this one journalist who, um, oh my gosh, it was the Philadelphia Inquirer. I wish I could remember. Yeah, um, I, but, I tweeted something. Right. Yeah. And I saw this and they're like, wait, based on this, are you, does, does this mean that Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi have access to our direct messages? That would be very concerning. Like, wait, so you're worried about Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi having access to direct messages as opposed to like every employee of Twitter since God knows when? Like, that's your concern? I mean, it really tells you where their priorities are, are, um, are on this stuff. I mean, their priorities are making sure their enemies don't know what they're doing, not about, you know, any sort, you know, enforcing any sort of like decent standards for free speech or, you know, basic fairness or justice. Yeah, it's uh, Abraham uh, Gutman who, you know, says, I can't, you know, do these people, yes or no, could get a st straightforward answer. Do they have access to to our DMs as if that's the, you know, that's the essential problem here, right? Not the the clear and abuse and corruption, but the fact that, you know, the people who are being, and this is my great, that's what I love about this stuff. It's journalists crying about sources, right? Like, oh, right. how can how can journalists be acquiring sources to do news stories? You know, it, it's just all these people who are so precious about the importance of the media and the value of the, the, the free press and the, you know, the, the essential job of journalists you know, going out here and just screaming at their top of lungs. How could you possibly give access to journalists so that they can do a, essential news stories it is just ridiculous. And like you said, the, uh, the amazing thing that has been, again, the gaslighting of people just saying, oh, of course, we always knew this. We always acknowledged that these people were being banned, you know, shadow banned. And on top of that, you know, this is a good thing. And it's it's a good thing. It's been happening the whole time, except you can find, you know, you just delve, you know, a year back into any of these people's Twitter histories and you can find them saying, oh, you know, conservatives playing the victim, you know, pretending, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're obviously mocking people who are being 
censored the entire time and lying to them and saying, oh, this isn't happening. You guys are just being uh, ridiculous. And now they're just saying, oh, yeah, no, of course, we knew this was happening the whole time. We always admitted it. And it's absolutely essential because, you know, liberals are correct and conservatives are wrong. And so conservatives deserve to be censored. Ted Lieu said that directly. He said yeah. progressives were right on this stuff. Conservatives are wrong. Conservatives should be banned. Yeah. In fact, last night I tweeted um, something effective. The response to the Twitter files with the with Barry Weiss's drop is going to move from there's nothing here to these people deserve to be censored. And that's exactly what happened in the Ted mm -hmm. tweet is like the classic example of that. I mean, he specifically said it's worse than that because he didn't just say, oh, conservatives deserve to be censored for what they were saying. He said, well, you know, conservatives were wrong and said that COVID was invented and they should have been censored for all their COVID stuff really you're gonna use COVID as your example um you know and one of the examples that, that um barry pointed out was um dr j bata chira I, I i can't say it was the stanford you know doctor who was on the forefront of saying a lot of the you know and he wasn't denying COVID one bit he was mostly protesting against its handling of children and a lot of the the um, public policy that was being crafted based on you know sort of um ridiculous risk assessments and again this is a stanford doctor this is not you know like some chump and yet he got vociferously censored even though he was right on damn near everything he said um in retrospect precisely because he was going against the official narrative not because um he did anything wrong that was irresponsible um and that is what's really the story here you know it's not even about at the end of the day about left versus right it's about official narratives and control um and that's 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 what should really scare people and that's the reason why the left should shouldn't take this stuff for granted and again you know matt taibbi is not you know a right winger i mean you know you can say that you know as much as you want he's just a guy who, you know, I mean, frankly, I hated the guy for a long time because I thought he was, you know, arrogant and mean and everything else. And frankly, he was. I mean, I think he's matured over the years. But it's also true that he stayed entirely consistent on this sort of like, you know, old school left wing free speech principles, old school left wing skepticism of the national security state. Um, and he's paying a price for being consistent, essentially. The same with Glenn Greenwald. Um, you know, same thing with Barry Weiss. She's, you know, you know, she's a uh, a lesbian. I mean, she's no one's conventional idea of a right winger. She's gone out of her way to distance herself from a lot of that stuff. And there's nothing you can do to convince these people that the people that are out there, you know, trying to be honest and dig in to what's going on here, um, aren't quote unquote, the enemy. They're merely people just looking to the truth. Yeah. Well, and th that's the thing is you're right. I think these people were specifically chosen because of kind of their middle of the road status, right? Like the fact that they, none of them are flame flame throwing, you know, right wingers. Um, they're, they're all kind of these people who have established a career and are, you know, center left in orientation in general, but, um, but have built up this following. And that's been a big, you know, cry from these people too, is it's, oh, it's all these Substack journalists, right? It's all these, it's all these bloggers, you know, no credibility here, even though people like Weiss have been, you know, printed in you know, absolutely massive, major, you know, mainstream uh, publications. But that's the thing that I think a lot of moderate liberals and kind of the classical liberal crowd needs to get through their head, right? Like, I know some of them already know this, but it's something that they need to learn in general. Th their moderation will not save them, right? Like, if you're doing it out of principle, then good on you. But if you're there holding on because you think that, you know, oh, well, just, you know, saying I'm not on the right or saying that I'm, 
you know, I'm, I'm consistent on these things is going to protect me. There's not, they're going to come for you again, you know, by all means, hold your principle if that's the motivation, but don't think that's going to provide you any kind of shield against these people. Because like you're saying, we saw a regular manipulation of and banning of people, even if they explicitly were sharing things that were true or things that didn't violate policy. We saw it again with libs of TikTok. They explicitly said, okay, libs of TikTok is not directly violating our policy on hate speech or targeting or whatever, but we don't care, right? Like, like because the, because the things that the libs of TikTok account is sharing is casting a community in a bad light because they are doing bad things and because they are doing it repeatedly and you showing simply showing their behavior will naturally reveal a pattern. That's enough. Even if it doesn't violate the policy, we don't care. We're going to actively take steps to take this person out. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, they were literally reposting what other people were voluntarily posting on the internet. Um, and you know, that was a problem, you know, <laughs> and, but I mean, like, what does that say that they feel like that's the thing that needs controlling? It, it feels like there are certain issues that they feel they can't openly debate because they're going to lose. Um, you know, if we actually have an honest and fair discussion about, you know, quote unquote, gender affirming care for, you know, underage kids, they're going to lose that debate. Um, they've already lost it in several European countries, for instance, you know, more or less. Um, and so, um, there's this, you know, just sort of panic about this sort of thing. And it really speaks to like where they're coming from. Um, they know that the public is not with them and therefore free speech is something to be feared because if we actually have robust public debates about this, they're going to, you know, lose, um, they're going to, the power they have is going to be eroded. Um, and you know, it, I, it can't get more clear than that if that's the case. I mean, if they're actually trying to silence public debate on issues like, you know, important medical issues like, you know, hormone therapy for teenagers or COVID, then, you know, we're never going to arrive at the right decisions, you know, democratically. Um, it's always going to cause all kinds of like tension and unrest. Um, and, and then that's the other thing that I don't get is, is they think that by squelching dissenting voices that they're somehow going to go away. I mean, particularly in this news environment where there actually are lots of options, you know, in and off the internet or other things to get your, your work, get the word out more so than, than ever before. No, it's just going to make a lot of those fringe people more and more powerful. In some cases, you you genuinely don't want that. I mean, I do think you've seen a resurgence in a few cases of some aspects of white supremacy and other things like that because it's been so suppressed on the internet and other things like that that, you know, it, it, it makes people think that there must be something there because they suppress all these other, you know, perfectly valid things. Um, and the fact that there's no interest in, in having... You know, I think to some extent, maybe we even need some sort of authoritative gatekeeping, but it's impossible to have it in this environment where everyone's running around with their hair on fire and motivated by political ideology and, and, and this sort of thing. Yeah, I think a lot of ways those those people are more useful to that community than, uh, uh, than they are too. a hindrance. I, I think... Um, I think they love the Richard Spencers. I think that gives the I think that gives the journalists and the left wing NGO complex far more power. Um, than, I mean, than Jake Tapper interviewed Richard Spencer on air on CNN for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah, he's got, got, got you're, you're terribly concerned about platforming contract. these people, yeah. except when it gets your ratings. Yeah, no, I think they need them. If they, I think if they didn't exist, they would need to invent them, and I think in some cases they do. But go right. to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I wanted to, to touch on the the debate aspect though, that you're talking about because I think this is nothing new, right? Like I think 
the reason the liberals think they can get away with this, the kind of kind of per progressive uh, egregore thinks they can get away with this is that they've done this so many times in the past, right? Like you smothered the debate, you make sure that the frog doesn't notice that the water's boiling. And then when kind of the inevitable result comes, you've already had control of public opinion so long that you just say, oh, it's no big deal. Like we saw this again with things like gay marriage. You look at, you know, the Obama position when he was running and that is now an untenable position that would get you fired from any mainstream job now right, right. and there it was not that there was some organic movement of public opinion that occurred they just used civil rights law and they used court decisions to circumvent democratic will they got rid of you know you had things like proposition eight in california even you know extremely liberal states that still were capable of passing but it didn't matter because they didn't care about democracy and they didn't care about having debate they cared about pushing agenda forward and smothering the issue making it impossible to actually have any kind of popular will be exercised on it and then once they had the fate complete then we can be like oh no this is what everybody believes now because they have to because there's a commissar with a gun pointed at their employment at every moment who says if you don't you know, get on board with this then you're toast oh look public opinion has shifted on this issue right. and they're trying to run the same game plan here this is this is a really old game plan it's been around again since at least the 60s and they've been running this over and over again it's worked like magic so many times they think they can do it again but it's that new media i think that you're talking about that really makes it difficult to kind of close this the the corner cases are getting more extreme and the avenues for dissent are too plentiful to completely silence people this time around yeah are you familiar with um uh, the book the age of entitlement by christopher yes. caldwell excellent yeah. book. yeah i've done my a video. Old colleague wrote that book and i mean it's a really truly terrific book you know it is yeah he demonstrates that you know basically they've been running this you know civil rights law game plan since the 1950s you know weaponizing people's concern over civil rights to actually advance a lot of things around the margins that were actually quite authoritarian um and you know of course that starts with civil rights in the 50s and that's how we you know ended up with donald trump essentially is his, his thesis it's really well written and i highly recommend it um but uh yeah i mean part of this you're right i mean it's not just that i mean sure um part of this is about suppressing speech but also a large part of it is also about you know intentionally making people feel powerless you know making them feel like they have to accept a double standard and like it um and they know full well what they're doing um and you know they don't want to confront um what that says about themselves um i mean i mean this is the thing if you were to go up to vija god or what the woman who was the lawyer was in charge of a lot of these policies or yul roth and the people that were you know most responsible for these you know shadow banning whatever policies at twitter and you were to confront these people like look here's what you did and here's why it's wrong i mean it'd be like showing a golden retriever a card trick they yeah. just don't understand they are incapable of um of you know understanding that they might be in error because of you know this sort of you know utopian progressive ideology that they you know have bought into hook line and sinker and you combine that with this sort of technocratic um you know um, um utopianism that you know silicon valley has been promising for decades or whatever not only do they believe that you know total justice is possible but they have the tools to do it and they're the people that can enforce this and that's you know just sort of terrifying it's like the old c.s lewis quote about how it's better to live under robber barons because their cruelty can be satiated what you know when you live under omnipotent busybodies, you know they'll torture you without end because they think they're doing it for your own good 
Um, and that's, you know, basically where we've arrived. Um, basically, everyone controlling all these major levels of power, all these institutions, whether it's the media, whether it is the federal bureaucracy, whether it is academia, um, all of these institutions are run by people that think that they know, you know, what is in your best interest and that they are in a position to force you to, to accept um, the fate that they have mapped out for you. Um, and I don't know what the response to that is other than um, we've got to be a lot more forceful. Um, you know, don't confuse that necessarily with violence, but um, we've got to make things a lot more painful for these people that want to do this. I mean, much more painful than we've been willing to do thus far. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and like be the guy calling for a revolution or whatever, but like, it's the only way out that I can see. I mean, these people have to be made to suffer as a result of the consequences of their own unjust actions. Yeah, I think, uh, did, did you catch, um, by chance, uh, Sam Harris's kind of appearance on trigonometry where he talked about covering the cover up of the Joe Biden, uh, laptop or the Hunter Biden laptop? I try and avoid him whenever possible, but I seem to recall there was something where he said it was like no big deal, but even if, you know, even if it was true or something like that. Yeah, it, it, I understand why you would ignore it, but I think in this particular case, it's well worth if you just want to catch like the 15 minutes. It, it's really fascinating stare to you can look directly into the progressive mindset. It's really it's a it's a one of those things where you just need to do the the game film so you can understand your opponents here. Uh, they're like the like the theory of mind going on uh, because. He specifically says, you know, the 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 hosts who kind of they have this classical liberal free speech. We got to, you know, they're they're left wing essentially, but we've got to reveal all this stuff. This is their mindset. And Sam Harris is kind of talking to them, and they're like, "Well, Sam, you know, clearly if this story was valid, we we shouldn't be running or we shouldn't be suppressing it, right? Like even if you are against Trump, like us or whatever, like you sh you should still allow this." And and uh, Sam Harris is like. I don't care if Hunter Biden had the body, the corpses of dead children in his basement. No, you should like defeating Trump was way more important. And and it is the job of basically good and decent uh, progressives to mold the public opinion and, and control the uh, the information that goes out to the public. So the wrong people don't get in charge. Right. And I think that that's what you're talking about. We talk about kind of the you know that these people um they truly believe in the holiness of their cause. And when you explain to them that what they're doing is a scandal or wrong or a violation of principles, they're just going to stare at you like you've lost your mind because of course the highest possible principle is the retention of power by progressive forces because allowing you know the right to have any control at any moment will basically just return you to you know the handmaid's tale it'll be the end of you know it'll it'll be the you know uh, the return of slavery all you know it'll be the apocalypse if if conservatives are controlled for 10 minutes and so there's no reason that you shouldn't do absolutely everything that you're not morally justified to every turn to completely violate any of these like common social fabric you know principles because at the end of the day the most important thing is the retention of power to make sure you control these people and keep them from destroying progressive utopia i i what you said in terms of describing how these people view things is almost more comforting than i think what is actually going on mm. okay <laughs> which is to say that if there is some sort of higher value that they subscribe to where they're knowingly suppressing um things just to you know uphold that higher value um that is something that is almost rational 
if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like they have a belief system one way or the other. Um, and, you know, you can sort of recognize that and try and address it and counter it. What's going on in, a, in the country right now, particularly with the media apparatus and how it feeds this, this mindset, um, is this insane sort of like feedback loop. Um, so first, let me just explain. So in China, there's this weird phenomenon known as internal reference publications, right? Which is to say that the Chinese communist government officials pump out so much propaganda that is fed to ordinary Chinese people that um, if ordinary Chinese officials were to rely on what they read in the newspapers and whatever was put out for the popular masses, they would make bad decisions because they're not actually publishing the facts and the leaders know it. So the China, in China, they have these things called internal reference publications where the party in power, the people that are the party members, they get actual facts in newspapers that are reported to them and them right. only, right? So they can take these facts and then they can go about making rational decisions while they continue to deceive the public. That would be roughly analogous to the vision that you just described. We don't have that distinction in this country, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a situation here where we have a national security state that goes out and makes up a bunch of outlandish BS, feeds it to the media, which reports it uncritically, and then proceeds to dig in on like every conceivable level of this, you know, pile of manure um, to come up with, you know, more manure that they think supports the pre-existing pile of manure that they can add to. And you end up with this insane feedback loop where they, they end up believing crazier and crazier things at every turn. So the reality is, is that they end up with this sort of like self-sustaining feedback loop where every new development is filtered through this prism of how does this confirm what I already suspected about orange man bad or, you know, whatever the villain du jour is. Right. Um, so literally like these people are losing the kind of critical faculties and, you know, basic, you know, sets of facts that would allow them to distinguish truth from fact in this sort of situation. And the only way that you can begin to have a sense of what is true and what is not is to be someone who doesn't, you know, on some level, fundamentally subscribe to um, this, you know, higher value or whatever. Otherwise, you're just sort of like completely lost in this like, you know, insane matrix uh, where, you know, every decision leads you back to, you know, the starting point. Um, and that's really, I think, where we're at. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think you're right for the most part. I think at, at some point, we kind of had the um, the Walter Lippmann public opinion guided popular sovereignty um, version of this, where there was, you know, that the, the, they were aware of what they were pumping out and what they were feeding people. But today they are so deep into their own Kool-Aid that you do just have this like accelerationism, but for progressive propaganda that, yeah, I, I think that's, that's, a, that's an excellent point. Well, the one thing I think that all this does reveal and I hope this is a lesson that maybe the right takes away for this, conservatives take away from this, is that the biggest victories come with the capture and, ex and exposing of institutions, not by like getting two more congressmen or, or, or Senate race done. Not to say that elections don't matter, but understanding that like the GOP is like, you know, probably not going to get you out of this one and the far more useful actions 
are doing things and i understand like elon musk is the richest person in the world so it's not like that's a that's a plan of action for the average person uh, right. but it but at least it it shows you like what is necessary to kind of truly break this stranglehold even if elon isn't like the perfect guy like what he's doing is having a far more important impact on the political situation in the united states probably than the republicans have had in quite a long time no that's that, that's exactly accurate and i don't think that um a lot of people on the left quite understand that um which is to say that the reason why you ended up with trump is there were i talked to so many people in 2016 that were literally of a mindset that um i think donald trump's crazy i don't like lots of things he's doing and saying but the reality is is that he poses a threat to those people and I know those people are bad. I'm, I'm yeah. literally like, I'm rolling the dice with Donald Trump. And I know that it's, you know, he's, you know, could be a bad guy in several ways. But I know those people are bad. I know what they've been doing for decades to me and my, you know, way of life. Um, you know, um, and, you know, whether it's exporting my job or, you know, um, or, you know, shutting down my, you know, church or whatever it is, or, or you know, targeting my church with lawsuits or whatever it is. Um, so I'm, I'm going to do it's, you know, it was the last act of a desperate man. Like literally the only way that, you know, populist, um, populism is, is resurgent. The reason why populism is resurging around the globe right now is simply because the ballot box is like literally the only avenue that people feel they have left to register dissent. So the reality is, I think, you know, to get a healthier, healthier society, as you point out, I mean, I think it's shown that, you know, voting Donald Trump, you know, getting control of the Senate, you know, isn't going to be the thing that, you know, saves us in the long run. We're going to have to build some more institutions. We're going to have to expose the institutions that exist. We're going to actually roll up our sleeves and do a lot of that sort of hard work instead of being so, so passive about it. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a difficult message um, to, for people to hear. You know, you're going to have to do the work, as progressives like to say, right? Um, but that's the reality. You're, you're going to have to, um, you know, be engaged in some kind of... Um, you know, probably progressive term resistance. You're going to have to, you know, build your own institutions. You're going to have to reject a lot of this quite affirmatively, not just ignore it. Well, Mark, uh, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, we have a few super chats. Do you have time sure. to hang out and answer a few? Sure. Okay, great. Uh, so let's see here. We've got the Laureist here for five pounds. Thank you very much. The end of a uh, century of manipulation, i.e. the end of manipulative elites inspired by Edward Bernays leading the masses through controlled media. Well, Laureus, I think we're going to see this continue for a while. I mean, remember, this is not new. A lot of people learn about like yellow journalism in the Spanish American right. war. And then we're just like, Oh, um, I guess that just went away. And uh, that, you know, that's not a thing anymore. Um, but I think, as long as mass communication and popular sovereignty are two forces that are interacting, you're always going to have political manipulation. And so what does that look like? How does that change in the end? Is there, can, can the cathedral or, or whatever the deep state, whatever, can that ever have a different message than it has now? Or do things have to fundamentally change in different ways? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that kind of looks like at the end, but I do know that again, as long as your legitimating system is popular sovereignty and you have mass communication, you're never going to separate kind of the, the the interaction and the need for elites to kind of manipulate those things. Yeah, I think that's basically right. Um, speaking of interesting lefties, 
Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Batya Ungar Sargon and her book, Bad News. It's one of the best pieces of media criticism that's been written in years. And mm. basically the thesis of the book is she ex basically explains the history of American journalism um, as a vehicle for um, um, manipulating class warfare, essentially. Um, and it's really a fascinating book. Um, um, that, that really goes through a lot of this. Um, but I think obviously if you look at like history of, of the history of journalism in America, at least, um, you see these periods where, yeah, there were always manipulative elites in the news business and that's just the nature of the beasts. It's fundamentally human society, but there were definitely periods where things were more in balance than they have been now, or, you know, say when they were around the turn of the, turn of the century and at the height of turn of the 20th century, the height of yellow journalism, um, et cetera. So you go through in and out of these periods or whatever. And, and I think a stable society is dependent on being able to, you know, course correct when, you know, inevitably you stray off into excesses. And I would say, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm just being paranoid. You know, certainly I didn't live through the 60s. Um, you know, um, I didn't live through you know, the Civil War or anything like that. But I would say America has been pretty darn good at, you know, course correcting, even at great sacrifice. Um, throughout its history. The question is now with a whole new kind of control that exists in uh, an entirely new digital realm that's this mass psychological experiment that's heretofore unprecedented, whether or not we're going to have the gumption and fortitude to to find the ways necessary to push back against this new form of manipulative elite manipulation um, is really the, really the, the question right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a there's a deeper discussion to have there about how we course corrected. I would say that in a lot of ways, our course corrections were usually pushing the problem down the line um, more than anything else. But but that's a that's perhaps its own podcast all all to itself. Um, Your point. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, but I think you're right that it's we've never had this level of ability to deliver. Um, mass propaganda this way and that fundamentally alters the relationship with leaders and the lead and the question is is really like you said will we have the ability will we have the fortitude to find a way to forge a new way or to control that or to provide enough perspective or freedom or whatever the the admixture is that kind of allows popular sovereignty and mass media to interact or will that require kind of a, a reform or removal of one of those two aspects because i i am interested this seems to be a recurring theme no matter where we're at whether you see you know the you know nazi germany or you see uh you know the soviet union or you see american mass media even though these are very different systems at the end of the day uh, centralized mass communication and kind of this in this kind of managerial leviathan seems to be a key part of like modern governance. And I don't know if those things can be separated. I don't know what would separate them. It's a huge problem. Yeah, that's the key distinction. I think the sort of managerial elite problem, which is something that the left has just weirdly stopped caring about. Like they, they scream bloody murder about inequality in terms of things like wealth, right? Well, look, I don't give a damn if Jeff Bezos makes $100 billion and builds a, a disgustingly opulent 20,000 square foot house in, in the suburbs of Seattle. That doesn't affect me. 
when Jeff Bezos buys one of the nation's largest newspaper and that nation's largest newspaper hires someone like Taylor Lorenz, who's a hack that goes around basically harassing people and who's obviously mentally unstable and no one does anything about it. Well, then I care what Jeff Bezos is doing to me and how he reports on the issues that fundamentally affect my life. Um, and that's that's the real issue here. And it's, it's really just sort of like fascinating um, how easy some... The, the percentage of, of the left is able to be bought off. I mean, you know, Bill Gates throws all this money at all these progressive causes and like no one cares how many trips he took on Epstein's plane. Um, it's really just appalling that no one actually cares about the conduct of, of or the, like the unequal distribution of power so much, you know, um, as, as based on wealth as opposed to just the wealth itself. Um, and uh, I think... That is especially true in the media sphere where um, so much when I was in college um, studying journalism, God help me, um, there was a very famous book. And it's probably, I don't know if it's still taught in um, journalism schools I'm, I'm by this famous journalist called Ben Bagdikian. And I forget what the name, title of the book is, but it's all about media consolidation. And it's all about what a warning it was that, you know, the all of the media has been controlled by, you know, seven or eight corporations. And this was like 30 years ago when it was written. Um, and, you know, I mean, I feel like that was, a, these were like standard issue concerns that just no one cares about anymore. And by the way, that was a big progressive concern back then. All the righty people were like, oh, you know, you know, the free market is the engine for liberty and blah, blah, blah. You know, who cares what these big corporations are doing? And the leftists and the ones were screaming bloody murder about it. Now it's like the roles have been completely reversed and has everything to do with who's being persecuted and who's, who's being not. I mean, I still think the principle applies equally across both situations. You know, it's just bad to have, you know, a group of people, no matter what their ideology is, concentrating too much power. Well, I think you might find very interesting. Sam Francis makes a, a really interesting argument about this in Leviathan and its enemies. He says that the reason that it looked like at first progressives and the managerial elite would be at odds is that uh, prog the progressive movement had misunderstood the ends of managerial elites. Uh, basically, he, they, they misunderstood the relationship between each other. The, they had the same ends. They, they were both looking to kind of arrive at the same place. But the basically the managers understood that they needed to kind of boil the frog the frog slowly. They needed to do the process uh, through time. They couldn't bleed the bourgeoisie dry, or they couldn't slaughter them. They needed to bleed them dry, and so they they had the same goal of kind of eliminating bourgeoisie capitalism and moving things in a different direction. But because the 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 progressives wanted to go at warp speed and the managers wanted to go at a manageable speed, they looked like they were at odds and the progressive movement identified them as an enemy. But over time, as the managers have moved things closer and closer to the uh, the kind of fulfillment of the progressive agenda, they have merged and, and worked together more fluidly now because uh, they, they kind of see that this is an end goal that they can achieve through kind of the managerial process. Um, you know, it maybe doesn't hold up in every aspect, but I think it's a pretty fascinating case to, to be made in that direction. Yeah. I've been meaning to read that book a long time, but yeah, that sounds exactly right. Yeah. I, 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 I will warn you. It's like 700 pages and it desperately needed an editor. Like they could probably cut 150 pages out of there cause he repeats pretty often, but. Um, I've seen it enough to know that there's a reason why I haven't read it yet. Yeah, <laughs> you could, you could, you, you could make sure to beat, you know, you can, you can uh, defend your home with it. Um, you know, so it, yeah, that's understandable. We need like a new right cliffs notes or something like this. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I'm trying to there's do with the channel. Lucrative opportunity to, there for you. Yeah. If anybody wants to, you know, roll through the, through all the back catalog, you've got some of that there. 
Um, all right, so we got another one here from uh, Slash, uh, Slasher from uh, $5 Canadian. Thank you very much. Uh, we aren't shadow batting. Reminds me of the North Koreans saying that they don't use the term concentration camp, therefore they don't have any. Yeah, I mean that there were, you know, they, what's the Iranian thing? We don't have any gay people. We just, we just, you know, right. all get just surgery. people to fall off buildings. <laughs> it's exactly yeah, the, a zero percent uh, existence here because you know they yeah. So yeah, no, I think that's again uh, very true, Slasher. I again that it's um it's that manipulation of procedural outcomes right is like the theme throughout all of this right there's there's a def it's word manipulation it's manipulation of policies it's a constant redirection running people back through these bureaucratic processes it's terry gillian's you know brazil right like you're this, you're constantly caught in a web of this and in that way no one's ever held accountable for what's obviously actually happening yeah in, in this case it was pretty directly orwellian um, you know, a lot of people would say, well, Twitter would had disclosed this previously. I mean, you look at what they disclosed and the headline on these pieces, these things on their website would be like, we do not shadow ban. And then you read like the second paragraph and they have this definition of shadow banning that was like so narrow and weird. It was unrecognizable. Um, it's like, you know, no one defined shadow banning, um, that narrowly shadow banning was always just understood to be like the general algorithmic suppression of someone not like this very specific circumstance that Twitter was defining it as. Um, and never mind that the whole idea of literally saying we do not shadow ban in and of itself was so, um, you know, Orwellian as to be, you know, overtly dishonest. They knew what they were doing. Um, and there's no reason they get to be let off the hook for that BS. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, I really appreciate it. it looks like we got to all the questions. I want to thank Mark again for coming on. Mark, is there anything coming up that uh, people should check out? Anything that you're working on? A piece coming out? Anything like that? <laughs> um, I, nothing other than I generally work for Real Clear Investigations. I'm working on a story right now about um, drug price controls and the Inflation Reduction Act. So, um, you know, don't get too excited, folks. Um, but it's an important <laughs> story. It really is. Um, and I do a lot of good work over there. My colleagues at realcurrentinvestigations.com do tons of great work. So um, if you, um, you know, we've, we've, in fact, we've done a lot of the major work on um, uncovering stuff in Russia collusion. Um, and uh, um, yeah, um, you know, always make sure you're checking out Real Clear Investigations. They're, you know, one of the few outlets, you know, I think that are left with any integrity that are doing that kind of investigative work. Excellent. All right, guys, we'll make sure that you check all of that out. Thank you again for joining me. If this is your first time here, make sure you're subscribing. Uh, I've got uh, everything uh, coming out on podcast platforms now. So if you're someone who enjoys listening uh, to this stuff like at the gym or while you're mowing the lawn or playing a video game or whatever, make sure that you check out the uh, the Blaze platforms. I've got uh, the links for the different uh, you know iTunes and all that stuff that I went ahead and put on the YouTube channel so you can follow those links to make sure you subscribe over there. And uh, once again, great talking to you. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.